0: So, hi there, and welcome back to Psychiatry XR, where we're on a mission to inspire worldwide conversations and innovation around the use of extended reality in psychiatric care. I'm your host, Kim Bullock and I'm a clinical professor and XR researcher in Stanford School of Medicine. I'm board certified in psychiatry, behavioral neurology, and neuropsychiatry, as well as lifestyle medicine. Thanks for joining me on this journey as we are discovering together how XR technology is influencing the field of psychiatry and mental and behavioral health care. Please note that this podcast is distinct from my own clinical teaching and research roles. And The information provided is not medical advice and should not be considered or taken as replacement for medical advice. I'm so excited to talk to you about um, wearables and the treatment of um, mental illness uh, using extended reality. So I'm a clinical professor and I direct the virtual reality and immersive technology program and clinic here at Stanford in the Department of Psychiatry. And uh, so we mostly enhance evidence-based psychotherapies using these wearables. And if, if you wanna check out it in further depth, uh, if, you, if you put in Google search virtual reality in Stanford, um, you'll find our, our clinic quite easily. Most people are not really aware of how much and how long um, XR and wearables have been being used in mental and behavioral health. Uh, virtual reality is actually and I'm just an umbrella term for all the realities, any spatial computing technologies, that's what the X represents, so it can include the future. So it's it's now being used as sort of an umbrella term so the uh definition definition usually it's it's a computer generated image that's 3d can be interacted with is head mounted incorporates um uh, all this sensations usually um, uh, majorly visual and audio feedback. And it really brings you uh, an, an illusion of being somewhere or being someplace. And for virtual reality, it completely replaces the user's uh, real world environment and replaces it with a simulated. So that's the definition we'll be using uh, for virtual reality here. And there's been a big boom um, in the last 10 years because this became more, ubiquitous and uh, disseminable and available to most of us on our mobile phone now. In all of these VR technologies, there's a synthetic sense of being there, which is considered the ecological validity. So the robustness of bringing somebody to a place where it can trigger emotions and belief, and it can be divided into social, spatial, and self. And the term immersion is the capacity uh, to be there, and it can take uh, as little as five to six seconds. It's it's amazing. It can not only change one's cognitions and emotions, but it can actually create sensations because movement and sensation are intimately linked. But really the first um, time we harness this for medicine was uh, using mirror therapy. It's an embodied virtual reality in a sense, and it is used for unilateral, a motor and sensory symptom and problems, uh, usually neurological, but it can have psychological origins. And I see quite a few people with somatic symptom related disorders that are kind of at the interface of both neurology and and behavioral and mental health. And so I was trying to uh, create a mere visual feedback for those people with one-sided symptoms and worked with Jeremy Balenson and his graduate student and we would, uh, were the first people that I know of that took an htz Vive, a common a gaming device and put it into uh, my office and helped patients actually do mere visual feedback and we had some remarkable results. Um, XR experiences, virtual reality in particular can force a person to see a different perspective. You can have an egocentric point of view where you're seeing things from your your first person. uh, um, Have a second person seeing how the other person is experiencing you. This is quite important for things like theory of mind. And then you can also see things from the third person perspective, which is often quite helpful for people that are very emotional about a trauma that has happened that taking the third person point of view can help. Uh, one with emotion regulation. So how is it actually being used um, in psychiatry currently, and what evidence do we have? Well, there's kind of four different types of actual uses, and I would classify them as exposure, distraction, training, and research. So exposure is cue desensitization. People might be afraid of something like a spider and they need frequent, repetitive contact with that object, and the VR can stimulate that. It can help prevent people's fear responses and get them ready and help people desensitize to that. A distraction for both pain and emotional distress. It can sti- be used for stimulation when there's sensory deprivation can be used um, to automate training experiences and standardize those and muscle relaxation, diaphragmatic breathing, mindfulness, meditation, things like that. It's currently being used in psychoeducation. And then for research, quite a bit in standardizing experiences, creating cues that can be replicated. And then for measurement, for eye tracking, capturing behavioral movement and arousal And so there's been multiple uh, randomized control trials in a variety of uh, diagnoses, trauma, anxiety, addiction, pain, eating disorders, autism schizophrenia and palliative care, but limited in the realm of mood disorders. One generalization could, that could be made right now is clinical trials do not show that VR-enhanced psychotherapies are superior to their equivalents. There's mostly a non-inferiority trend, but that does not mean they're not of, of value because I think what where the value is, is it enhance is the implementation of evidence-based psychotherapy and then the other nice thing about this is it now it can be also since the pandemic most of the companies have been helping clinicians to deliver this remotely through uh, the applications mostly through phones but now recently through actually the Quest 2 and Vive and so what's it's being treated most for especially in our clinics is anxiety disorders so it is anxiety disorders are the most common with 33% of us being affected at some time in our life. The mainstay for treatment is psychotherapy. It's the first line. As far as durability, it outperforms medications. The therapy itself involves actual disrupting the conditioning and the pathways that sustain anxiety and fear, which are safety and avoidance behaviors. So as one actually has anxiety one usually avoids the thing they're afraid of but the more that they avoid it there's a positive feedback loop that uh, then makes the anxiety go up, the more the anxiety goes up, the more um, avoidance and, and safety behavior. So it's this positive feedback loop, this vicious cycle that creates more and more fear, more and more anxiety. And the way to disrupt that is to get into a virtuous cycle where you let go, have people let go of their safety behaviors, let go of avoidance, and that is called exposure therapy repetitive use uh, over time and the more frequency and intensity the more quickly a person recovers and um so what vr does for anxiety disorders is makes it more comfortable so it may not um increase the outcome if somebody is engaging in it but it might make it less likely that the person in um, drops out of therapy because of it being uncomfortable because these these are very uncomfortable treatments, kind of like chemotherapy. People can feel like they're going to die before they get better. Being able to use a simulated exposure before doing the actual feared stimulus can make it a lot more comfortable and help the desensitization process. And I think that's where the real enhancement uh, for exposure comes in. And we call this in virtuo. People's stimuli and the things that they're afraid of are so idiosyncratic, but definitely there are still barriers to XR development, security concerns, uh, problems with not having all stakeholders at the table when prototyping and designing, especially uh, behavioral health experts, and uh, side effects, including cyber sickness and postural instability, lucid dreaming, one has to be careful about that. That we still have limited number of minutes that people can stay or feel comfortable being in cyberspace, as we call it. But there are techniques, uh, and the technology is improving to decrease the cybersickness. And thanks so much for listening. This episode was brought to you by Psychiatry XR, the psychiatry podcast about immersive technology and mental health. For more information about Psychiatry XR visit our website at www.psychiatryxr.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and tune in again next month. You can join us monthly on Apple Podcasts, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Kim Bullock produced this podcast with the help of Faiza Arshad and Jessica Hagen. And we credit our grateful to Austin Hagen for music and audio production. See you next time.